Good morning, everyone. Glad you are with us. And if you are a guest with us, especially glad that you are here. Some of you may have, um, you may have learned uh, in school that poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson. He wrote it in 1854 about a failed uh, uh, British um, battle. Uh, he, it was entitled The Charge of the Light Brigade. Anybody, did you, I don't know if we memorize stuff much anymore, but the charge of, uh, of the light brigade, half a league, half a league, half a league onward, all in the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, charge the guns, he said, into the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered. There's not to make reply, there's not the reason why, there's but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Ours is not the reason why, ours is but to do and die. Now that might have been fine for the light brigade that was decimated in that battle. But when those unexplainable things happen in our life, those crises happen in our life, the, the, the default thinking is to ask, you know, why, Lord? Why is this happening? We live, all of us, in, in a world of unexplainables. Why, why does this stuff happen? Um, we see it all the time in the, the news. The, we read about it it's in the medias. Um, the unexplainable. A senseless murder. A, a child starving an aborted baby, um, a crisis that hits, a loss, a devastating natural disaster, the whys of life. And as long as the unexplainables are relegated to the TV screen and, and they don't invade our private world where we can manage it, but once they do invade our private world, then, um, <clears throat> you know, then we want to look to God and say, you've got a lot of explaining to do. Why? Why do these things happen? And when the whys of the world get into that personal space of ours, um, it's, it's really a question about, God, where are you? Who are you? And my, my circumstances, are you going to shape my perspective of God or my perspective of God is going to shape my, my circumstances, how I view my circumstances. The whys of life can so easily derail us or detract us from the who that needs to fo- we need to be focusing on life. Now, we studied the book of Daniel. And the last week we saw that Daniel, this young man, probably 14, 15 years of age, was taken from his home in Jerusalem, born into some type of nobility. But when Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian conqueror, came and besieged Jerusalem and conquered Judah, that, that country of uh, the Jewish people, and took these young, um, young men of nobility, the 14, 15, 16-year-olds, and took them back off into captivity, exiled them into Babylon. There were a lot of things David, uh, Daniel could have asked why about. Why, Lord? But as we'll see in our passage today, instead of panicking over the whys, Daniel put his focus on the who. And so take your Bibles and turn with me to Daniel chapter 2 as we continue to study on the book of Daniel. 
Daniel chapter 2. It's a great story, great um, historical event that we read here. Chapter 2, verse 1, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. And it starts by saying, now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, let me just stop there for a second. Um, in the second year, this was probably into his third year because historians tell us that the first year of a Babylonian king's reign would be called a, an ascension year. It really wasn't the first year, so there was his ascension year. And then the first year that he ruled would be, though it was his second year, that would be his first year. And when he got into his third year, they would count that then as his second year. Do you follow me? So in the second year, this is just an exercise to see if you're awake. That's, it's, it's, it's all part of the techniques of preachers to keep you going here. So when it says the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, it's probably he was in his third year of his reign, technically. It says that um, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. And the king then gave orders to call the magicians and the conjurers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Now this is, this is King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the Napoleon of the, of the 7th, 6th, 7th century B.C. Again, historians will say the military prowess, the ability of Nebuchadnezzar, um, there was none like him of that era. He had faced the Assyrians and didn't bat an eye. He chased the Egyptians back into Egypt, and he did it with all the grit and the power and the muscle, and he was, uh, he was the ruler of rulers. And now he is the, the, the main man of the world. I mean, he's the emperor, the mightiest power on the face of the earth, the Babylonian empire. Nothing troubled Nebuchadnezzar, except one night in his bedroom when he had a, a dream, and actually plural, a series of dreams, and it thoroughly shook him, shaking in fear. He's deeply distressed, and he calls what the king of Babylon would do. He called the, the wise guys, the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers. Some of our translators say the enchanters and the astrologers. He calls the, the learned people of that culture, the people who dabbled in the, in the occult, as we saw last week, dabbled in the, the, that realm of the unknown, the demonic realm. That's what the Babylonians were known for. And there's this interesting conversation that now begins in verse 4. The Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, which was the lingua franca of the day, Aramaic. Um, and it's another little side note that I won't get into, but starting from this verse through the chapter 7, Daniel writes in Aramaic. The first chapter up to verse 3 of chapter 2, he wrote in Hebrew. Now he begins with Aramaic all the way through chapter 7. Then he picks up Hebrew again, the Hebrew language, as he writes in chapter 8, verse 1. There's a reason for that, but I'm not going to get into it now. But, um, they, they, so they speak to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Great way to start when you're talking to Nebuchadnezzar. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. And that would be the standard procedure. Let us know the dream, then we'll go to our dividing books, and, and we'll do our 
incantations and all our conjuring up and we'll, uh, up, we'll call out the demons and we'll figure it out for you. Well, Nebuchadnezzar throws them a curve. Verse 5, the king replied to the Chaldeans, the command from me is firm. My decision is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. Kings can do that. Nebuchadnezzar could do that without, you know, any loss of sleep over it. But if you declare the dream, verse 6 in the interpretation, you'll receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. Okay, they're, they're in a pickle here. In verse 7, they answered a second time and said, let the king tell the dream to his servants and we'll declare the interpretation. You know, play by the rules, Nebuchadnezzar. You, you don't do that to the king. Verse 8, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time inasmuch as you have seen that the command for me is firm that if you do not make the dream known to me, there's only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation has changed. Well, therefore tell me the dream, that I may know that you can declare to me the interpretation. In other words, I'm not playing that game, says Nebuchadnezzar. I'm sure he had done that many times before and maybe left from his magicians and his, his uh, sorcerers and his astrologers scratching his head and thinking, are these guys for real? I mean, is that really what... This dream that he had dreamed, dreamt, these series of dreams, he was losing sleep over, it says. This was so disturbing. Whatever he saw, and we're, it's not divulged here so far, what that dream was. We'll get into that next week. But whatever it was, it was incredibly disturbing, and he's not having any of this hocus-pocus stuff with, these, uh, with his uh, wise guys. Tell me what I dreamt, and then tell me the interpretation. That's where we're going to go. Uh, for a third time, verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. And as much as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or, or Chaldean. Moreover, verse 11 the thing which the king demands is difficult. There's no one else who could declare it to the king except, except gods whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. They're pushing the panic button now for sure. We can't do this. Nobody can do this. This is, you know, gods might be able to do it, but they don't dwell here with mortal men. We, what you're asking, we cannot do. Well, verse 12 because of this, the king became indignant, very furious, and gave orders to destroy all the wise men in Babylon. Can you see the picture? There's this batting back and forth. Tell me what I dreamt and tell me the interpretation. We can't do that. Well, that's how we're going to do it. And if you don't do it, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. Okay, well, king, no one has asked such a thing. No ruler does that. In other words, you're out of line, Nebuchadnezzar. That's really an insult in you. You don't insult the emperor. And that's it. His veins are popping out of his neck. The guy is livid. This was so disturbing, this dream. And these guys are buying for time. And they, he knows they can't answer it. And so the order is given. 
Verse 13, the decree went forth and the wise men should be slain. And they looked for Daniel and his, three, and his friends to kill them also. Why? Remember last week, <clears throat> these young men had been taken into captivity from the nobility of Jerusalem. They were being um, trained or brainwashed in the, uh, in the, the training of, of the counselors in, in Babylon to be thoroughly Babylonian, to be um, p- placed in Nebuchadnezzar's court to serve him as some form of, uh, of government employees or s- servants or slaves. Chapter 1, verse 5 says that this training, this orientation brainwashing program was a three-year program. We're in Nebuchadnezzar's second year. That would be his third year of reigning. Um, I take it these young men, Daniel and his friends, had just wrapped up their training, their three-year program. They'd already been interviewed by Nebuchadnezzar, which we learned in chapter 1. He had checked them over and said, man, these guys are 10 times better than any of our Babylonian guys who went through the training. I mean, these guys are for real. So here's Daniel and his his three friends, and they're all going to be wiped out now. They're going to be killed. It's at that point that the focus now shifts to Daniel in verse 14. Um, We don't know exactly what happened, but my guess is there was a knock at the door. <clears throat> Probably not even a knock at the door. The door is busted in, and here comes the captain of the bodyguards. Arioch is his name of Nebuchadnezzar's bodyguards to grab Daniel and his three friends and go kill him. Verse 14, it says, Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. And he said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? And then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. If that seems fairly calm and dialogue-ish and kind of like what's going on here, it very well could be because it says that Daniel replied with discretion and discernment. That last word discernment has the idea of in good taste, appropriately, suitably, Daniel responded wisely um, with good counsel, good good discretion, with wisdom and tact. Here's a young guy. He's probably 17, 18 years old. The door's just been busted in. Here's Eric. They're going to drag him off. And it's like, what's, what's happening here? But he calmly says, why such a harsh treatment, Arioch? He explained, Eric explained, informed Daniel of the matter. And verse 16 says, so Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time and or that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Um, with discernment, with discretion, wisdom, good take, good tack, good taste, he engages Arioch and he asks to see Nebuchadnezzar, who had probably just interviewed him not that long ago and Realize this is a brilliant young man. Daniel gets an audience with Nebuchadnezzar. So what's happening, king? You had a dream? Tell me about it. Okay. I will, I will, I will let you know what you dreamt. And I will interpret it for you. But give me some time. 
And for whatever reason, Nebuchadnezzar, I think it was, again, Daniel's discretion and his discernment and the way he handled himself and known as a very, very bright young man, and Nebuchadnezzar is desperate for an answer for his dream. It says in verse 17, Daniel went to his house, informed his friends Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah about the matter so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel kept his head when everybody else was about to lose theirs. He rashly, calmly talked with Arioch. He got an audience with Nebuchadnezzar, was able to buy time with Nebuchadnezzar so that he could do what? Pray. So that he could go before the compassionate God of heaven and request that God would inform him of what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamt and what the interpretation was. Um, Verse 19, the mystery was revealed. God graciously answered Daniel's prayer in a night vision. And what does Daniel do? He rushes out and tells Nebuchadnezzar, I know the dream and I know the interpretation. No, he first prays God. Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Verse 20 says, Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the seasons, the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things, the deep secrets. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you've made known to me what we requested of you. For you have made known to me the king's matter. Daniel praises God. That's a great psalm of praise. You raise up kings. You take them down. You give wisdom. You the one of all might and power. He's just got the dream revealed to him in a vision. He knows the interpretation. He's about ready to go to King Nebuchadnezzar. He's got to be excited. We've got the answer. And he praises God. Whatever God told him, um, he, hit, he hit it out of the park, and Daniel knew it, and he praises God for it. What was it that God had said? What was the interpretation? What was the dream that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed? Well, we'll look about it next week. So <laughs> we'll see you next week. That doesn't mean I'm done here this morning yet, but... Uh, um, whatever it was, it was, it was quite an answer. And Daniel responds in praise. It says in verse 24, Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and he spoke to him as follows, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence because I'll declare the interpretation to the king. I've got the answer. And as we'll see next week, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Daniel never lost his cool. He never pushed the panic button. Daniel um, went to the Lord. 
it's, it's a, remar- a marvelous response for, again, a young man who could have been asking all the whys. Lord, why am I here? Why have I been stripped away from everything that was dear to me? Why am I in exile in a foreign land? Why, why have I been subjected to the demonism of the indoctrination program for these last three years? Why, why am I serving an evil empire? But he didn't focus on the whys. He focused on the who. Let me share four things that I think will help us as we see Daniel, this model of Daniel, help us focus on not the whys all the time of our circumstances, but the who that we need to trust. Four things I just want to mention quickly. Here's the first principle that I think we come from with Daniel. Panic not. (laughs) There is no crisis of life that is worth panicking over. That's what Daniel would tell us. Daniel did not push the panic button. And the reason why, of course, was because of the theme of the book of Daniel that we're going to see over and over again. There's a God in heaven who's in charge. He he reigns supreme. And he's compassionate and he's kind. He knows what he's doing. You can trust him. When we panic in a crisis, when we lose our head in the midst of the, the turmoil that we may be facing, Um, it it smacks a little bit of idolatry because what we're doing, if you think about it, is is bowing before the crisis. It it becomes the sovereign in our life. It becomes what controls us, what occupies our attention and our focus. We bow to the crisis. We're paying homage to the crisis and not to our eternal God in heaven. Life is... Life is not that complicated. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 16, verse 33. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. There it is. We're living in a world. In the world, we're going to have tribulation. That just goes with the, 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 the plan down here on earth. It's a fallen world. Um, Peter would write, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon us. Um, In the world, we're going to have tribulation. Be of good cheer, though. I've overcome the world. Arioch just knocked our door in. He's dragging us off to kill us. Be of good courage. God is bigger than that. My daughter just called and from college and she's pregnant. (laughs) Be of good courage. I'm bigger than that, says God. I just lost my job last week. I don't know where we're going to find two dimes to run together before long. Be of good courage. God is bigger than that. I just learned that I was abused by a neighbor as a child. Take courage. God is bigger than that. I found out last week that I have six months left to live. Be of good courage. God is bigger than that. 
in this world we will have tribulation. Take courage of overcome the world, said Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we minimize and cavalierly take a look at our issues and problems of life. Um, they're real. They're painful. God just wants us to put it in proper perspective. He wants us to not focus on the whys, but focus on the who. To look to him, to trust him. Corey Tenboom understood that. Remember Corey Tenboom, the story of Corey Tenboom, the hiding place, part of kind of the Dutch resistance in World War II. She and her family took in Jews that were being hunted by the Nazis. She was, and her family were eventually caught. And she ends up in the infamous Ravensbrück concentration camp where she saw her sister Betsy die and hundreds and thousands of others. She was scheduled to be exterminated. And the day before, because of a clerical error, she was mysteriously released. Corey Tenboom once wrote this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Panic not. Second of all, might suggest from Daniel, pursue understanding. Understand the nature of the crisis. I, I like how Daniel here with discretion and discernment, with tact, with wisdom, he asks some questions. What's this all about? Why such a harsh pronouncement by the king? What's going on? What's the situation? Can I get an audience with the king? King, I can interpret this. Give me some time. Can you do that? Pursue understanding. Get the facts. What are we facing? So that when we get the facts and get a little bit of the lay of land, we can do this third principle. We can then pray specifically. We get the facts so that we can go to the Lord and say, here it is, Lord. When I was diagnosed this summer with the prostate cancer thing, and um, okay, yeah, we can push the panic button. I've had it before. Um, so I got some information, you know, go to read this, read that. There's a great book by Dr. Patrick Walsh, for any of you men who may face this one day. His fifth edition came out in October. He's a surgeon over at Johns Hopkins. Something about the, cancer, the, the surviving prostate cancer, something like that. Latest stuff on prostate cancer. Read it, kind of figure out what's the game plan here. So that we can pray specifically, Lord, now that I think I know what I'm facing, let's talk about it. Let's talk to the Lord about it. Let's pray. Let's replace the panic with prayer. Because oftentimes, we do want to try to figure it out. We gather the facts so that we can take over rather than move over and let God do what God does. We end up trusting our own superior wisdom instead of getting on our knees and asking the Lord for his and his guidance. God said this, written and recorded in Psalm 50, call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Talk to me. Call upon me. Jeremiah, 
33, thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord, Jehovah is his name. Call to me and I'll answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Talk to me. Call upon me. The Apostle Paul said, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Talk to me, says God. The situations, the circumstances, the dire needs, they come our way. And God in his graciousness designs things in such a way that we'll get on our knees and get close to him. It's a wonderful thing about troubles and trials of life. We get to know God better. We get to trust him more. We get to find out that he is exactly who he claimed to be. He's a sovereign Lord, and he wins every time. The 19th century Baptist preacher from London, Charles Spurgeon, I love what he said about prayer. He said, prayer pulls the rope down below, and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. That's prayer. It's the rope that's being pulled down, the bell rings in his ears up above. And then he said, some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so languidly. Others give only an occasional jerk at the rope, but he who communicates with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. Grab the rope and pull it, people. That's what Daniel would tell us. Talk with God. Jesus told the parable of the the widow who came before the unrighteous judge, kept knocking at the door, knock, 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 knock. She kept knocking. Finally, he aroused the guy and At the point of the parable, Jesus said, we ought always to pray and not grow faint. Pull the rope and do it continuously with all your might. Pray, pray. And then when you pray, the fourth thing that Daniel teaches us, you praise immediately. The the mystery is revealed, verse 19, at night and that vision But Daniel didn't just run off to Nebuchadnezzar. It says, I've got the answer. He got before the Lord and he praised him. He praised Almighty God. Praise him immediately. Whether he answers or not, in all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known. Pray and praise him for it. It's like the little boy who was asked by his father to pray say grace at the meal table that night. And so, you know, everybody, the family bows their heads and and then there was this kind of awkward silence because the little boy wasn't saying anything and the dad looked up and he sees the little boy scanning the table, you know, looking everything over at the table and examining things. And then the little boy bowed his head and he said, Lord, I don't like the looks of it but I thank you for it anyway, amen. (laughs) Good lesson. There's two kinds of people in this room today. There are those who are facing a crisis right now or those who will face one tomorrow. And we might not like the looks of it, but we can thank him anyway because he desires our praise. We thank him for it. Um, I, I, don't, I don't understand 
how a young man like Daniel had such, had such a focus, has such, had such a calm re- resolve and, and picture of God. Now, I will speculate, and that's what I'm going to say here in the next few moments, is pure speculation. But remember that Daniel was, and, and his friends, these young Jewish boys, were taken off into exile in 605 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar came and um, besieged Jerusalem and, and, and overpowered Jerusalem, uh, Judea. Four years earlier, the good king Josiah of Judah, we talked about this uh, last week or whenever it was, the good king Josiah, who had tried to follow God for 31 years, tried to reform the, the, the nation of Judah that had turned their back on God, he, he, he was killed. He died. And in 609, the nation of Judah is left without the godly king. And the people revert back because they, they, were, they had never really fully, there was no revival that went on as hard as King Josiah had made it to try to get a revival going. He's now dead. The people resort back to their sinful ways and, and uh, wicked ways. And, and, um, and then here comes Nebuchadnezzar and, uh, and conquers them. But there was a prophet who spoke right around that time. Well, he really didn't speak. It was God speaking to him. Uh, his name was Habakkuk. I, I mentioned him briefly in passing a week or two ago. Habakkuk. Three chapters in, that bear his name in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophet of Habakkuk. Um, God comes to Habakkuk, you may recall, and he, um, he tells Habakkuk, I'm going to bring the Babylonians. I'm going to bring the Chaldeans, and they're going to, I've had it. The, the people have sinned for the last time, and judgment's coming. And Habakkuk can't believe it. He says, God, you're, you're, that can't be true. You're too righteous for that to happen. That doesn't fit you, God. You, you wouldn't do that. You can't do that. And God assured him that he was going to do that. And he quiets Habakkuk down and he, he offers Habakkuk this important little piece of advice. It's repeated time and time again in the New Testament. Habakkuk 2 verse 4, the just shall live by faith. Trust me, Habakkuk, just trust me. The just shall live by faith. And Habakkuk had struggled with this and struggled with it, but all right, Lord, he sighed, I'm sure, long and hard. And then the last thing, it's written in the final uh, verses of chapter 3 of Habakkuk. The last thing, this is what Habakkuk said. I have heard, and my inward parts tremble. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my... Uh, in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. But then he said this, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines and though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food and though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there's no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation the Lord God is my strength, and he's made my feet like hinds feet, and he makes me walk on high places. No matter what happens, all right, God, I don't like it. I don't like the looks of things, but I'll thank you anyway. 
I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The just shall live by faith, by faith in a sovereign God who knows what he's doing, and he's compassionate, and he's kind. I have a sneaky suspicion that um, Habakkuk left an imp- a, a great impression on Daniel and young men. Where, where did this resolve, where did this confidence, where did this faith come from? I just have to believe that somewhere between 609 and 605 B.C., Habakkuk got the ear of young Daniel and Hanani and Mishael and Azariah and passed along the message, the just shall live by faith. You can trust God. I've shared before, I think, the story of William Cooper, one of 18th century England's famous and greatest poets. Um, He had a horrible life, upbringing, his parents dying. He was abused as a child. I mean, it's a, it's a horrendous story, a very sad story. It left him um, mentally um, lost uh, in despair, in de- great depression. He ended up institutionalized in St. Albans Insane Asylum, where he would probably live out the rest of his days in deep despair. Tried suicide multiple times. Didn't didn't work. But there was a man by the name of Nathaniel Cotton, who I think was like a chaplain there at St. Albans, who shared with William Cooper the good news about Jesus. And in that darkness of the insane asylum at St. Albans, William Cooper met Jesus. He met the hope of mankind. And hope sprang up in his heart for the first time in his life. Now, one of the things that William Cooper would write later after coming to know Jesus were these words. I, I started with Tennyson's Charge of the Light Brigade. I'm going to end with uh, William Cooper's. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while he sings. Well, it's the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. When comforts are declining, he grants, he grants the soul again a season of clear shining to cheer it after rain. In holy contemplation, we sweetly then pursue the theme of God's salvation, and we find it ever new. Set free from present sorrow, we cheerfully can say, let the unknown tomorrow bring with it what it may. It brings with it nothing, but he will bear us through. Who gives, us, who gives the lilies clothing, well, he'll clothe his people too. And beneath the spreading heavens, no creature but is fed, and he who feeds the ravens will give his children bread. Though vine nor fig neither, their wanton fruit should bear. Though all the field should wither, nor flocks nor herds be there. Habakkuk. Yet God, the same abiding, his praise shall tune my voice. For while in him confiding, I cannot but rejoice. You see, when the wise start pressing in on us, There's a who. And when you know the who, you cannot but rejoice if you know the who. The prophet Isaiah, 150 years before Daniel, 
wrote these great words, though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait upon the Lord will gain new strength and they will mount up with wings like eagles and they will run and not get tired and they will walk and not grow weary. Ours is not to reason why. Ours is to trust and spread our wings and fly. Where are you at today, folks? In the midst of a crisis? Maybe not. Hang on. You will tomorrow. Because in the world, we're going to have tribulation. Count on it. Jesus said so. But take courage. God is bigger than that. And somehow, in God's gracious providence, Daniel knew that and learned it. And instead of the wise, he went to the who. Made all the difference in the world. As it does for us, if we know him. Let's pray. Our Father, we call you Father because of what Jesus, your Son, did in our behalf. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into this world and bridging the great gulf, the chasm that spanned between you, the holy God, and we sinful people. And in great love, Father, you gave your Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. In that moment of faith, Father, we enter a relationship with the all-power, sovereign who, the creator of all, the God who wins supremely. And may we, as we study the book of Daniel, continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of who you are that when the, the unexplainables begin pressing in on us, we'll have the confidence like Daniel had, that we will panic not, we will pursue understanding and that will lead us to pray specifically, to come before your throne of grace, and that we would, Father, remember quickly to praise you. There's none like you. Thank you for being the ancient of days that we can trust completely. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.